There we go. Uh, okay. <laughs> Do you want to be pulled in? Oh my gosh. Start over here. <laughs> I mean, the video show is Hey, and welcome to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and I wanted to have a podcast where we could begin talking about our internal world. It seems to me that with one in four Americans suffering from a mental illness at any time in their life, we could learn to actually recognize the signs and symptoms and also begin to develop some tools in a toolbox for coping with our inner world, our emotional world. Uh, I lost my husband to suicide 12 years ago and since then have been really interested in the topic of being well. How do we actually shore ourselves up for the inevitability that we are all going to suffer at one point or another? Thankfully, I've got some really amazing people with me here to figure it all out. Dr. Brian Goff and Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, hello. Hi. I want to um, first say when I say doctor, I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, shit, this is going to be a doctor show where people drone on and on, and it's really difficult for us to find out anything that has any entertaining value. But the reason that I chose both of you is because you both have extremely great sense of humor. Is it something that you think is important in your practice? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I bring to the practice is this idea of like just humanity, not treating this as like I'm somebody that doesn't struggle with the same things you struggle with, but just, oh, we're both in the same soup together. I happen to have a different perspective because I'm not exactly in your soup and you have a different perspective. So the two of us together can just sort of talk about what's kind of where you're stuck right now. But yeah, I don't, I don't find it super helpful to take the like I'm Dr. Lejeune, unless I'm calling the insurance companies, and then they answer my call much more quickly if I use doctor. So Jenna, um, what are the specialties that you really dig? Yeah, um, I think sort of broadly speaking, I'm really interested in relationships. So I'm interested in people's relationship with their body. So people who are struggling with their body in some way. Um, I'm interested in helping people develop more meaningful and satisfying relationships, especially if they've had some kind of interpersonal trauma um, and intimacy and sexuality and all those things that um, go into making kind of meaningful relationships for people. That's awesome. Brian and I go back a long time because I actually researched and, and interviewed Brian many times for my book, All the Things We Never Knew. And I asked him if he would be my therapist. And he said, no, because I'll be your friend. <laughs> and I think I really got the right end of the stick on that one, Brian. Aww, Although you. I could still use a very good therapist, but I think I'll go to Jennifer. <laughs> I, know, I know a few of them. <laughs> what, what specialties do you really dig? Uh, I'm really interested in, uh, I think most of my career has been focused on uh, struggles with mood, whether it be depression or anxiety. And um, a lot of the people that I see have um, struggles with 
I guess the the geeky term would be behavioral discontrol, but sort of finding yourself doing things that you wish you weren't doing or not being able to be doing the things that you really want to be doing. And so moving the needle in that, whether it has to do with uh, risky behavior or uh, ways to regulate your feelings gone bad or whether it's related to health and wellness, like exercise or nutrition. I was just I was just thinking about myself this morning at Blue Star Donuts and wondering when you said finding yourself doing things that you're not really <laughs> responsible for, if that would probably be in that, hmm, am I actually taking care of my anxiety this morning with a big old sweet molasses donut? I think Blue Star is, is this a promo for Blue Star? Because I love them. Brought to you by Blue Star Donuts. You guys, every week we're going to have a different person on um, who, and we'll get back to Jenna and Brian talking specifically about one topic per episode. Today we're going to cover anxiety, and I think I have the queen of the person who has actually (laughs) coped with, dealt with it, and really figured out and a beautiful way to come to grips with living with anxiety. Uh, Courtney Hommeister, as soon as you hear her voice, you're going to go, ah, I love her because she was the host of a fabulous syndicated radio show called Livewire. Courtney, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I first want to say this book is the same color as our logo, and I think that we are both kind of setting an intention that we want to be better, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's it's bright yellow, which is which I found sort of ironic just because <laughs> the, 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 so much of the book was about my pessimistic nature. So it's this bright, sunny yellow. <laughs> <laughs> OK, fine. Whatever the year I went from being afraid of everything to only being afraid of most things. So I can imagine that the year your book comes out, it's a particularly anxiety invoking experience. Yes. How are you doing right now? Um, I'm, I'm doing well right now. I think that I, uh, you know, the book came out, it's now February. The book came out at the end of July and, you know, I had a, I had this wonderful big book event here in Portland and then, uh, I, I, and uh, my boyfriend and I traveled, uh, in at the beginning of September down the coast of California, uh, from Portland down to La Jolla in an RV, (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm not an RV person. I'm not a camper. I'm not a glamper. I don't like any of it. Um, But I I actually, I I loved it. California is beautiful. I I lived in California in high school. And, um, and so the trip was lovely and, um, and we came back and then I, I traveled pretty much all the way through October. And I think that I mean, I, I sort of say that I feel like my brain broke a little bit um, after October. Um, I just think that my my anxiety came back. Yeah. My OCD came back a little bit. Yeah. And I think that I had just not, you know, I think that uh, people who have any sort of mental illness um, or, or issue, uh, I, I have generalized anxiety. I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and OCD. And, um, I think that anyone who has, has any sort of pathology like that needs to take better care of themselves and Mm. needs to be more mindful of, um, you know, at one point I, I scheduled something in California where I, I had an appearance on Monday and one on Wednesday and one on Friday. Mm -hmm. And that was a learning experience for me. 
it was a teachable moment where yeah. I said to myself, oh, we're not doing this again because of because I have to prepare myself every time. And then there's this sort of, you know, there you, you sort of uh, have a little bit of a crash afterwards, you know, just uh, and so now I now I know. And, and 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 I think now I know, oh, don't go don't go to six cities in one month. That's not That's a great probably idea. good advice for anybody. I think, you know, it's just I exhausting. Think, I think unless you're in an RV. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But one of those really nice ones. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I have um, interviewed so many authors, and I'll tell you, the experience that you're describing, it happens to an awful lot of authors, especially first-time authors, where I've had two friends who actually experienced psychosis, uh, the rest of them uh, who had been coping with things that they thought were long in their past and they had dealt with, it's right back up and it's in your face again. And they were complete and total messes. And their publishers are like, oh, my God, what did we get ourselves into? But this experience, this experience of c consistently putting yourself out there and attempting to be on and attempting to try to say the things and do the things that people want is exhausting and it's yeah. not at all normal. It's not normal. It isn't normal. And no. I think that that's what I tell, you know, I, I teach I teach kids performance sometimes uh, and storytelling. And, and one of the things that I say to them is, you know, everyone thinks that everyone handles performance better than anyone else. And 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 what I say to them is, first of all, pretty much everyone is scared. You need to know that they're all just it's some people hide it better than better yeah. than others. But also it is an unnatural act to get up in front yeah. of 100 that's people, right. especially sure. with what, you know, we have, you know, our lizard brain and you know back in prehistoric times it was all about staying with your tribe and not doing anything to shame yourself because if you didn't stay with your tribe back then you would literally die yeah yep. right mm -hmm. and so I think we still have that in our bodies so the fear of shaming yourself is is mm -hmm. just exacerbated when you're in in front of hundreds of people um but also with book tours and books coming out the stakes are so high yeah I've wanted to be an author my entire life mm. and so the and so everything that I do is is setting myself either you know setting myself up for failure or or success. It's you know when we talk about storytelling, it's all about stakes, right? right? What can you gain and what can you lose? And in this case, I can lose the dream that I've had my entire life. I can gain. I can completely change my life, right? If I do this right, mm -hmm. like I had a meeting in New York um, with a production comp with someone from a production company, yeah. and I I went to school in New York, and I and I left New York in under kind of bummer circumstances, and and suddenly I was back, you know, twenty years later, and I'm walking from my publisher to this meeting, and then I walked away from the meeting. And it was a great meeting. It was a wonderful conversation. And I just remember thinking, I have to remember what this feels like right now. Uh -huh. Like mm -hmm. I have to, I have to remember the possibility in this moment and, and the, that I have, that I feel like, you know, it felt like something from a movie, right? Like I'd return to New York triumphant. Right. Um, regardless, that's the thing, regardless of how that meeting went, I got to have that meeting. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, but so we're few all, people get to have those meetings. We are all so end focused. We're all so where I see myself is my book is a number one bestseller and my name is in the lights. And so we don't allow ourselves even the the temporary joy of wait, this <clears> one <throat> big step was really quite amazing. Yeah. I want yeah. to go back to when you first started feeling or noticing in your body 
that you were anxiety ridden? When's your first consciousness of it? Um, <laughs> well, the, the terrible thing about that is, I mean, the, the time that I, well, I mean, I guess the first time that I had an OCD episode was, um, about 21 years ago it was right after my father passed away. Mm. My father was bipolar and, um, he took his own life and, uh, he was a doctor and he just knew there was a pill that you could take and, uh, he was, you know, gone in a matter of 30 seconds or something wow. that would wow. just stop his heart. And, um, but he was exhausted, right? Bipolar disorder is an exhausting mm -hmm. disease, as is anxiety, yeah. right? Anxiety is exhausting. Yeah. So I had this, um, I had an OCD episode. Um, I was living with my mom because I had been in college and I just didn't know where to go. So I went and I lived with my mom. And I just had this morning where I kept imagining that I had hurt these kids that I babysat. So I, I don't have compulsive intrusive thoughts. It's called harm OCD. And so you imagine either that you have hurt someone or that you will. Whoa. Yes. And the problem is what you feel in your body mm -hmm. is exactly what you would feel if you actually did it. Great. Right. Totally. And so, so you yes. essentially in your body have murdered people or hurt yes. them. Wow. And it is, it's a, and, and the problem is I think, and, and I think, uh, Brian and Jenna know this better than I do, but I, I think that with people with harm OCD or, or any of these intrusive thoughts, oftentimes it's specifically things that appall you. Of course. Like sure. it's, yeah. you know, it's specifically things that you would never mm -hmm. as a person dream of doing. And in fact, I think that they've done studies and people who have harm OCD are less likely statistically to, to do, do any it. of these things, oh, yeah. right? right. <laughs> than, the, wow. than the people who, who, you know, actually, actually do them. So in any case, that was the first time that I just had this terrible, I, I just remember going to my mother and saying something's terribly wrong. Something's wow. really wrong. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, th the problem is until you go see a therapist, you believe that this thing is true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, you know, you feel it, uh, anxiety, um, anxiety presents differently in everybody's body In mine, like it absolutely lives in my chest. My chest tightens. Um, my shoulders go up around my ears. Um, uh, I get a, a, a terrible stomach ache and my extremities mm. get tingly. Um, and that's, that's a problem too. And, um, you know, when you have any of these anxiety disorders, the problem is if you have any of these symptoms, you believe that you're about to have an attack. Mm -hmm. And so you have an anticipatory attack. So it is just this thing that feeds on itself. It's like these monsters that live inside of you. And your worst attack you describe in your book was just knowing that you were going to have another night in front of a live wire audience with, and the people you interview are not, they, they're not run of the mill B list interviews. They are Nobel Prize winners and they're presidents and they're, it, it's an incredible role. So describe to people what happened. Excuse me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope that will be edited out. Um, <laughs> no, leave we it. like leave to it. leave it that real. Was my, that was my protein <laughs> bar. Um, oh, so chalky. Oh, so, it so delicious. It was so delicious. Um, well, that was the thing. What's what's interesting about my um, about about my OCD, and this could just be coincidental, but I somehow don't think it is. But my OCD presents itself when I have something in my life that I'm ignoring. Mm. Um, if I have a huge change that I need to make, 
that's when it tends to show up. And the kind of interesting thing about this, I had a I had a massive OCD attack on it was the the eve of our ninth anniversary as a show. And what was kind of interesting about that was I had I had been experiencing anxiety for years. I'd I'd been I'd been hosting the show for a decade, and the anxiety had been around for about six of those years. And we were actually going to have Luke Burbank on. Luke Burbank was at the time a host of a, sh- of a podcast called TBTL, Too Beautiful to Live. And he was living in Seattle and I'd been doing Livewire for a decade and we didn't have anybody to back me up. And so we actually brought him onto the show to see if he might be a great backup for me if I ever got sick. So on the eve mm. of the show where we're having this guy mm. on who might back me up, my brain breaks and my and I cannot for the first time in a decade, I have to call my producer and say, I can't do it. And and um, and my and I had I'd gone to my brother's house and and he's one of the few people in my life who can be really honest with me. And and, you know, and he said, you have to cancel. And I just said, you know, I, I can't. There's all these people. You know, there's a whole staff. There's you know, hundreds of stations or at the time it was probably 50 something stations who were waiting for the show and, um, uh, and 400 people in the audience. And I just, I said, I can't. And my brother's just very, um, he's very sweet, but he can also be a little acerbic. Like he just sort of did that, you know, the head tilt that you get from people, you know, where they're just like, you're just adorable. That It's so cute that you think you're so important, <laughs> but you need to call your producer and, and say, you can't do it. And I called her and I said, I can't do this, but what if we got Luke to host? Wow. What if we just, what if we asked him to do it? I, I want to stop you before you begin to tell us all about the change that made in your life. But was there any, as you went back over it, was there any part of you that thought, I actually was really nervous about this guy who might be able to take my place. And I created a situation so that he could do that. Because I've been in radio for years and you're constantly looking at who is that girl that they're bringing in and who's auditioning in the next thing. And I can imagine that there's just enormous anxiety just by the very thought that there's somebody who could actually do my job and maybe better than me. Was there any of that? Not consciously. Really? No. I mean, I wow. honestly, I think that I, you know, um, it was so bizarre that I was, that I just kept doing the job, you know? I mean, I, I, I think that I, I loved so much talking to these extraordinary people, you know, directors, uh, that I, that I admired, mostly writers that I admired. You know, I got to, I got to interview David Rakoff. I'd always idolized Linda Berry and I got to be on stage with her, Mm. you know, um, uh, and I think that, that I loved that part of it, but I think that it was so hard for me. I honestly think that if anything, if I truly thought about it, I would have felt relieved. Wow. Because that's what I, of course, ended Mm -hmm. up feeling feeling. when I finally, you know, my producer was really amazing after the whole, after he hosted and we talked about it. My producer said, what do you want to do? We'll do whatever you want to do. If you want to go get help and, you know, uh, and it took me a couple of weeks and co- a lot of conversations with people in my life who knew what I should have done from the very beginning, wow. just nodding their heads and like, when is she going to finally get to it? And I finally just said, I have to let it go. And it was, it was, it was a really difficult decision. It was really hard. 
So I, you have talked to me in the past, and I don't know how open you are about this, about you have a mixed uh, relationship with your drugs. Mm-hmm. With The prescriptions are fantastic, and they're awful. Mm-hmm. Describe that, if you would. Well, I mean, so what I started doing with LiveWire was, was I took a cocktail of um, uh, an Ativan, pretty low prescription of Ativan, and a beta blocker propranolol. And that for me was kind of magical. There was, there were a couple times when it didn't work, but for the most part, and I would take it prophylactically, like regardless of how I felt on that day, I would just take it because I knew that I could have an anticipatory attack. So the propranolol slows everything down. You're not shaking or tingling anymore. You're just kind of a little looser. Well, I think that, you know, part of what, part of what makes the, makes this, makes an anxiety attack is this combination of physical and mental symptoms, right? Sure. So, so I would, the thing is, anytime you go and perform, your body changes, you're going to have a little bit of buzzing in your chest. But the problem is if you are a person who's had a panic attack, then you feel that buzzing and you immediately, your brain goes, I'm going to have an anxiety attack. And then that brain that thought in your brain triggers even more anxiety and and adrenaline in your body. Yeah. The great thing about a beta blocker is that it's not like a benzo where it affects your brain and it doesn't make you forget things. And I I wasn't as quick on the benzos, but on, on, on uh, a beta blocker, I think just sort of lowers your blood pressure and takes away the physical symptoms. So it starts this conversation, right? Your body goes, oh no, I'm having an anxiety attack. Or you're, you're, you know, you might get a little buzzing. Your brain goes, oh no, I'm having an anxiety attack. The beta blocker makes your body say, no, you're not. <laughs> You're fine. fine. Listen to me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So that so so that kind of combination was really great, but at the same time like honestly, I would not remember interviews. Like the wow. and wow. part of it is all of that cortisol. Mm-hmm. I know that cortisol has done a significant amount of damage to my yeah. brain and body yeah. over the course of 10 years me allowing it to run rampant. Yeah. Um and I think that the be- I think that the Ativan made it so that I I wouldn't really remember the con you know the conversation that I had just had, um, uh, and the adrenaline again. I was in this weird sort of but not a, f- a fugue state. I always think of like as um, pleasant, and this was not. <laughs> but uh, but in any case, yeah. There's that. I you know I tried so many drugs, and I'm I'm hypersensitive to drugs. I'm yeah. hypersensitive to the mm. um, side effects. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I, yeah, I didn't want to, you know, I, I was, I, I've been researching, um, uh, microdosing actually. Yeah. Um, just because so many of the, the drugs either give me headaches or put me on the couch or whatever. But more recently I've just actually just with this last sort of, um, this last sort of re-incidence of my anxiety, I just finally retried Prozac. Oh wow. And so that's what I'm currently taking. And, and it, it really, it significantly helped weirdly on the same day that I started taking it, which makes me think, oh, I'm, I'm a placebo. placebo. <laughs> exactly. I'm very I think we should have a jingle just for that when we recognize it <laughs> happening. Um, because I, I think always when people suffer, there is an idea that, you know what, if I could just like, like people say, well, have you tried yoga? Have you tried mindfulness and that there is supposed to be some human way of getting through all these things? First of all, when someone says that to you, how does it ring? 
And secondly, have you tried yoga? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I had a friend who said, oh, my gosh, you have to try Bikram. It'll change your life. Uh-huh. And I said, um, I'm not really a fan of yoga. And she's like, no, it, it'll be amazing. And I was like, and I also really hate sweating and being hot. And she's like, no, seriously, it'll change your life. It'll change your hour. <laughs> I, and, I, and, and oddly, and I know this is crazy, I hated it. Uh-huh. Uh, because I hate being hot and yoga. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know it's nuts. It's kind of part of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, um, I have, uh, the attention span of a gnat. Huh. Uh, so yoga is very difficult for me, yeah. um, but I have been doing, um, I have been doing mindfulness work I've and, and which is significantly helpful noticing for me, you know, uh, noting that's something that, uh, that there's however many things in a toolkit, right? That, that therapists try to give their, their clients, yeah. their patients. Um, and, and some things hit and some things don't. For me, noting was, I, I could actually feel. So with noting, um, at least the way that I learned it, is if you have a thought and, um, and it triggers a feeling yeah. in you, um, then what you're supposed to do is, so recognize that feeling and say, oh, um, I just like, you know, my current OCD uh, obsession is that I have uh, early onset dementia because my brain's not working like it used to. Oh. I used to be significantly quicker. I have, you know, aphasia largely caused by the anxiety, which is word loss caused by the anxiety. Um, and there was this this period where the sign on my street was turned and so and I realized that I had in at nighttime my street's completely dark so I was just always looking for the sign and not looking at anything else so when the sign was turned I missed my street oh twice my wow right wow. <laughs> and of course when your brain is going to oh my gosh I have dementia mm-hmm. so so let's say that happens mm-hmm. I miss my street. My brain immediately goes to see, I don't, I, I'm getting lost. I don't even know where I am. I've lived in this house for three years. And so what you do with noting is you say, and you immediately get, I get an immediate rush of anxiety, a rush of adrenaline, um, through the top half of my body heat. And so I say, Oh, I missed my street. And, um, that scared me. And it made uh, it made me feel tightness tightness in my chest and mm. heat in the top of my body and tingling, and it actually I can feel the anxiety draining out of my body when wow. I do it. That's powerful. It's it was really powerful, and it's not necessarily going to work for everybody. But that's something you know. There are these tools that that if you're having a massive panic attack, nothing is going to touch it yeah. except maybe a Valium <laughs> or Xanax <laughs> or something. But the, what the great thing about about I think that a lot of people really struggle and they're and they they beat themselves up. They're just like I there's nothing I can do about this, and they don't realize no, it's just like anything else. There are actual tools that you can use. Yeah. And so yeah, when someone says, "Have you tried mindfulness? Have you tried yoga?" Um, you know, once you've tried a lot of things, it does get a little old to continue to hear these things. Um, but, but yeah, I think that it really is like, you know, n- not one thing doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. You know, 
Um, Courtney's book, Okay, Fine, Whatever, The Year I Went From Being Afraid of Everything to Only Being Afraid of Most Things is so human. And part of what Courtney does is she takes on all these very frightening things like um, cuddling, um, Brazilian waxing. (laughs) I think you do something in a float tank or maybe you thought about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the most important thing that I thought was that you actually started dating. Mm-hmm. How has being in a committed relationship changed the level of anxiety you feel day to day? Well, I think that in some ways it's lowered it and in some ways it's it's made it worse, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I, I think that it's th- that's what's that's how books and movies lie to us, right? That you get into a relationship and everything is solved. Right. And and for me, you know, it took me a very long time to 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 be in a long-term relationship in my life. And I, and I think that, um, the problem is if you're an anxious person, when you do get into a relationship, all you're looking for is the next reason that he's going to leave you Mm. or not love you Mm. or, um, and, and I think that for me, what I realized was, uh, I think some people get into relationships and they think, um, oh, I need to make myself better so that this person will continue to love me. They, they, you know, get in, they read a lot of self-help books. And, and I think that actually what I needed to do when I got into a relationship was instead change the way that I felt about my flaws. Like I just, I needed to learn to recognize how, how broken we all are. Mm. And, um, and that, and, and, and recognize sort of all the reasons why this person was with me. Mm. Um, but just really, mm-hmm. I think that that was, that was really, uh, but, and, and I recognized that if I didn't do that, I would be miserable throughout the entire relationship because I would just be waiting for all of the shoes to drop, you know? <laughs> like, so one of the wonderful things about having Jenna and Brian here, and I, and I can just see wheels turning is that we'll spend the next half an hour uh, talking about anxiety, talking about some of um, Courtney's experiences. And it occurred to me, I don't want to ask you to leave if you want to be here for that. But if you have something to rush off to, you can go. Okay. <laughs> which is which is your preference? Um, I'd ra- I, you know, I'd, I'd rather hear it, probably. All right. <laughs> you know, I'd rather probably. be in the room. Like it's, well. it's, not, it's not, honestly, we didn't, we didn't structure this to talk about you, but because I always think it's so much easier, grounded in story, grounded in real human experience, to, to begin a discussion of really what is anxiety? How does it manifest? How does it affect us? 54, 45 million. That was the 45 million people report extreme anxiety. And I think it's at a peak. Do you notice in your practice, I want both of you to answer this, a sort of increase in the level of anxiety being presented? Jenna, you go first. Well, I mean, I I do think we're living in a culture that tends to kind of fear monger and um, like intensify negative emotions in various ways that we do that. So I definitely do see people kind of more on edge and and just sort of like fearful about the world and, and that. Um, I think some of the stuff that Courtney's talking about and Courtney, I'm, I'm just like sitting over here and I'm like squirming in my seat cause I'm so excited about some of the stuff that you're talking about. I'm like, yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. No, that's no, totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the stuff that you're talking about is so unbelievably just like part of the human condition and 
you have it in this more maybe sort of um, intensified form that allows us to see sort of maybe what we all kind of experience, like when you're talking about being in in a new relationship Mm. and how that both can decrease and increase your anxiety. I'm thinking, well, hell, of course it can, because you know what? We only get anxious about things we care about. And once you start like caring more about somebody, well, then of course you're worried like, well, maybe they're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe I'm too this way or not enough that way. So of course it's going to like increase all of those things. And that very... Oh, my God, I know this for me personally, that very human instinct of, well, maybe if I make myself perfect enough or good enough, then I won't be anxious about this person leaving me. And there is no, like, perfect enough or good enough. Um, So I was super excited about that part of it. Absolutely. Um, Brian, talk about the change that you're seeing in clients. I've heard a lot of people reporting almost a worldly or political induced anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing for, for, for real? Well, you know, the, the question about has it increased, I don't, I don't, I'm not really aware that it has increased, but I think that's because I'm not out there sampling everybody. Yeah. I, my caseload is pretty full and has been full before. So the people who come to me are anxious and I don't know how much <laughs> they represent, you know, the population, but I will say on that point, that there has been a theme that is uh, a lot more prevalent that we're living in uncertain times and we're living in times where there's a lot of stuff going on within our country and globally that people are generally uh, distressed about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to get to some of the building blocks because I think my hope for this show is that I think we learn a lot of things and cram for SATs and have coaches for sports and for many other things that we never end up using in our life. Uh, but we don't have any kind of emotional resilience or EQ training or there's no mm-hmm. classes that give us mm-hmm. an insight into our inner world. And I'm really hoping that especially people who are listening today because they have anxiety can come away going, how do I start thinking about the fact that I get to be a person who experiences the world this way. Do you have any advice for that person, Jenna? Well, again, I think, Courtney, you sort of hit the nail on the head on one of the things that you talked about, and this is just sort of my take on it, but rather than working to try and not be anxious all of the time. One of the things you said was helpful was this like noting process. And kind of my way of understanding how that sort of thing works is you're not trying to, okay, calm down, calm down. You shouldn't be anxious. Mm. You're simply putting words to your experience. But it was really interesting how you said it. You didn't say, okay, so I had this thought and now I'm terribly, horribly anxious and it's really bad. You said, I had this thought. And now there's a tightness in my chest. And now I'm experiencing kind of a tingly feeling. So you're naming the actual experience without putting all of those evaluations like, and this is terrible and horrible and I have to get rid of it. And sort of paradoxically, by simply naming your experience, oftentimes that tends to sort of decrease how horrible it is Wow, for how us. interesting. Yeah. Brian, similar similar ideas? Well, actually, have you tried... Bikram yoga? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it changed my life. It changed for nine life. minutes. It's, it's a, a lot. It's pretty fantastic. <laughs> You'll no, really actually, like that as it's well. It's so sweaty. <laughs> it's so sweaty. No, actually, a number of the things that you you mentioned, I was really resonating with, and I and and that idea of, in so many of the examples that you talked about, a thought shows up, and and your body responds as though that thought is absolutely the case and because you think it it must be so mm-hmm. right even even down to like the i take a prozac i mean that's kind of what placebo effect is about is mm-hmm. i'm taking this thing that's supposed to help mm-hmm. boom you know kind of business and and my experience is we so often look from our thoughts rather than at them i don't happen to have glasses on today i'm wearing contacts but you know, I have had glasses on and forgot that they were there. I'm just looking from them. Hmm. And if, and the temptation is with thoughts, it's like, I must make that thing go away in order to be all right. But that's kind of taking the thought more seriously than it necessarily requires to be taken seriously. If we can just hold the glasses out six inches or so, they still affect what we see, but we can also see that we're looking at glasses. So just that idea of, I notice a thought just shifts it a little bit. Just a little bit. And and I think that that happens even when we don't necessarily believe the thought. Mm. You know, it's just that's how we are with thoughts. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I sometimes do rather irreverently with people when I first see them is I'll say, think of a think of a person that's really important in your life. And I ask for their name. And then I'll say, you know, now I'd like you to say this. I'd like you to say this sentence out loud. I hope that so-and-so gets in a terrible car accident. And they have that right there. See that she thing just, you did? I wish this were being filmed, Courtney. Yeah. It was just like, <laughs> because it's a, it's a Bikram yoga look. Really. <laughs> and, that, and it's like people have that reaction. There's a, there's a rougher version of it where I say, think of somebody in your family who's younger than you of the opposite sex. And I'll say, now say this sentence out loud. I want to have sex with so-and-so. And they have that expression. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing that I quickly point out before they like fire me and run away is I'm like, do you see what happened? Like, look what showed up. And they weren't, they weren't, uh, that's not what you want. They're just words. And moreover, they're not even your words. I gave them to you. Wow. And just because you say them, you have this like emotional, visceral kind of reaction. Well, okay, this leads me to ask the question, and I think this of so many of my friends who suffer more, that I also believe that they kind of have a greater bandwidth. My friends like Courtney who have anxiety, who might have depressive periods, also seem incredibly more empathetic than a lot of people, way faster. Uh, There seems to be something in almost like the makeup of people who tend to suffer that they also have these extraordinary gifts on the other side of it. So do we know enough about how anxiety is actually formed in the body to know, is it for brains that have particular capacity or has that actually been ruled out as a theory? Jenna? Oh, ask me about the brain. Um, the the answer. <laughs> yeah, Jenna, when it, go ahead. Yeah, the answer when it comes to do we know about this in the brain? The real answer is no, no. no yeah. We kind of don't. Um, and at least from how I view the world and sort of my perspective of the things, we we can't separate the brain from our experience. Mm -hmm. Like there's no such thing as, well, this is about the brain and not based on your experience. So I 
No, we don't oh, know that. So, is so the... what you're leading me to is we have to take into uh, the quotient Courtney's trauma, Courtney's well, the way she was raised, Courtney, her own particular place of of where she finds peace and joy, and and so much of that is personality built from zero to five. Yeah, and the fact Courtney's been intimately living with somebody with anxiety for what 21 years now like you know you on a daily basis are interacting with somebody hopefully somebody you care about yourself that's like dealing with anxiety so if you have that much experience mm-hmm. with dealing with somebody that oh it's it's hard to suffer in this way yeah like my hope is that you become more empathic or attuned to that mm-hmm. when you see it in other people as well i do think one of and and there is data around this it is easier for people to, in general, easier for people to um, have compassion for others than it is their own suffering. Mm. And so oftentimes when I'm working with folks, they will have compassion and empathy for other people who are suffering, whether that's with anxiety or depression or whatever. But they haven't seen themselves as a person that has anxiety that they also have a relationship with. And so part of my work is helping people like... What kind of relationship do you want to have with yourself, given that you are also somebody that suffers? Yeah. Wow. Sure. What about that? The um, I have it. I know when I get depressed, and I've gone through several really depressive episodes, that I am so pissed at myself. I don't have a lot of compassion or time, or I'm just like, get the off the couch, you know? There's mm-hmm. the feeling that... that when we get a cold, we're all like, oh, poor me, bring me some soup. But when it is some sort of, of thought disorder or some sort of behavior disorder, we're really hard on ourselves. Absolutely. What do you tell people, Brian, in terms of allowing them to see themselves as maybe they would treat their daughter or their their toddler? Well, I do I do think that that we're like that and we end up having kind of our original distress and then we have distress about distress. We have fear about being afraid. Mm, yeah. We're like super sad about being sad. Yeah. We're ashamed that we wrestle with shame and um and it's I think it's very hard experientially to believe that we're all sort of in it and these are just human experiences. These are normal experiences. The business about uh, compassion. I mean, one of the exercises that sometimes uh, I and I know other therapists will do is uh, sort of imagining what what is it you would say? How is it that you would want to show up for somebody else or a young? You know, if I have lots of anxiety, then imagine that I'm talking to this little boy mm. who's maybe the age that I first started being really aware of being anxious mm. and. This kid is scared, and he's saying a lot of the sorts of things that I say to myself. Um, how would I want to show up for him? Mm. What would I want to say to him? What sort of message would be relevant, um, maybe compassionate? Maybe I want to tell him to get his act together, but probably not. I mean, or then I guess you could flip it. Imagine saying to that boy the sorts of things that 
you say to yourself, mm-hmm. like, what kind of a what kind of an adult are you to hate on him like that? One of the best practices that I ever had around that was actually naming that voice who comes out with those really oh, shitty yeah. things because yeah. it helped me so much because now that I have that name and it's the name of a person I don't like very much, <clears throat> uh, when I say, hello, Priscilla, there you are again, it really flicks my brain to like, whoa, Priscilla is such a bitch. I created her, you know. I took the name from someone else, but wow, that person, that that voice is so critical, so much more critical than I would ever be of another human being. And yet I unload that Priscilla voice on myself. But then we can get into this trap of getting critical of being critical, <laughs> right? Yeah, and now so, you're judging, you're judging. Right, like, <laughs> I'm so being so non-judgmental. Right. No, but yeah. one, actually one thing you can do with that, that um, so I have also kind of, you know, uh, physicalized myself critic yeah. and I kind of make it a bit of a cartoon character. So mine is the little guy from the Muppets that sits up in the, in the balcony, <laughs> like, you know, and he's just like, he's kind of ornery and he's like saying a bunch of stuff that's not all that helpful, even if it's kind of accurate. And if I can sort of like see my mind, that part of my mind is that like little guy, I'm sure he has a name, but that guy, <laughs> then I'm just sort of like, you're funny. And I'm going to go back to paying attention to what's important yeah, here. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's part of you're writing a book right now on the idea around values-based uh, therapy. Is that the yeah, way that I would yeah. describe it? And the yeah. idea is we're all going to acknowledge we all, we're all in this soup. We all have this stuff from one degree to another. And then how do we get to the next plane of actually enjoying our life? Yeah, it, it was actually super related, I think, to what Courtney was talking about and her book. Because my guess is, so you spent almost 10 years on Livewire kind of pushing through the hard anxiety. Just mm-hmm. like do it and it's hard and you're just, I can just, maybe this isn't your experience, but my guess is something like, come on, come on, I can do this. I, I can do this. And then, you know, so you had plenty of experience with that. But then you took this entire year of doing things where you're intentionally putting yourself in a place with Mm -hmm. anxiety. But I would say that what may be the difference between those two is that the things you did in this last year were more sort of from a willing place. They were more like in the service of something that meant something to you versus like, come on, I should, I have to. Mm. I'm going to do this to beat my anxiety. Exactly. Uh-huh. And that's what I think of with values. It's about like letting the things that are actually important to you, like, hey, if you want to be somebody that gets to go live your life and sometimes get a Brazilian wax for whatever reason that might be important or just like whatever, like allow yourself to do those things. But just like pushing through the painful stuff just to prove that you can do it. Like I don't see any value in suffering for the sake of suffering, Mm. but suffering in the service of getting to have a full, meaningful, vibrant life. Hell yeah, that's worth it. And I'm imagining that's a little bit of the distinction you might've had. I'm not sure though. Courtney, is that, is, does that ring true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the majority of the stuff that I did, I think the sensory deprivation tank, going to the professional cuddler. Um, <laughs> uh, Sign Brian up for that game. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Um, I think that it was, what was interesting about it was, oh, I just thought I'm going to do these things that that put me in this kind of, in this place where it makes me sort of mildly uncomfortable to try to teach my brain that everything's going to be okay. And I think that 
I think that being adventurous is sort of a muscle and my muscle was atrophied Mm -hmm. for sure in that area. But I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to do, but, and what ended up happening was I kept doing these things that were clearly pointed at trying to, to learn more about a certain aspect of my own experience and personality where it was like, I went to the cuddler because, you know, I, I have had this, you know, this, I, I thought that I needed affection too much, even though, because I had, I, I had not had physical affection for so long in my life. I was concerned that I, I needed it too much. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I went to a sex club, which was, you know, this insane experience. I went to build your own burrito night at a club Sesso. Um, is that a euphemism or an actual sex club? They first the potluck. Yes, exactly. Uh, they ran out of tortillas, which was oh. devastating. But um, come on, energy. <laughs> right, but, Bring but the so tortillas. and I dated polyamorous guys, so so it was like all of this stuff to kind of test my my personal boundaries and try to learn a little bit more about myself. Um, I honestly of all of the experiences thought okay I'm claustrophobic so I don't know if I can do the the sensory deprivation tank but the build your burrito thing is like, <laughs> anybody can do that anybody can build a burrito I'm gonna get adventuresome and try that I, one I love the idea that it's like there were it seems like there were some places where I'm gonna I'm gonna practice disobeying my mind mm. you know just realizing mm-hmm. that that this word machine up here thinks it's the most important part of my body. Right. But let's remember who's telling me that. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's true. I want to ask specifically because I'd never heard um, uh, Courtney describe this, this idea that she's going to do harm. Um, yeah. it, is it, is the thinking that this is part of anxiety, that this is just a manifestation of so much anxiety in your body that the brain is kind of misfiring? Well, uh, once again, I'm asking you to be a neurologist. It's a brain question, and I'm going to say not like I'm we don't you, know. Not I'm going to get you a buzzer every right. time mm, I ask you a brain question. question. You can cut just, that. Yeah, but but <laughs> I would first of all, that's a, a super common um, kind of presentation of people who struggle with OCD is wow. having this kind of worry that they're going to harm somebody, they're going to kill somebody, they have harmed somebody. It's it's very common. And again, I would say that that is probably tied back to whatever is most important to you. Like if you were a sociopath, you wouldn't be sitting here where your mind wouldn't create these like worries Mm -hmm. about, oh, no, what if I harm somebody? Oh, no, what if I harm somebody? Like our brains start worrying about things, the things that are important to us. And so... You know, my guess is you cared about the kids that you were Mm -hmm. watching and, you know, you don't want to be a sociopath harming people. My guess, I'm hoping, given that you're sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) we didn't check your purse. Right, I know. But your mind will kind of go to, well, what's the worst possible thing I could be? What's the worst possible thing that could happen? And then it latches on to that. And that's the thing that, you know, it sort of like starts worrying about. So it's, it's really very common. Wow. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I the, mean, I, the term is right. The, ter- the, 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 the geeks in the basement call it ego dystonic. Yeah. Oh, so I it's sort that. of like the opposite of yeah. so whatever it is. It's sort of like, oh, actually the stuff I care about is usually the opposite of that thing. Yeah. 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 All I know is that you should read Courtney's book, honestly. 
because it made into a movie and I want your name up on that billboard and I want this <laughs> thing in New York to be your ultimate dream because you deserve it. Thank you. I okay, fine, that. whatever. The year I went from being afraid of everything to only being afraid of most things. I love you, Courtney. Love you too. Thank you. <laughs> that's our first, that's our maiden voyage, you guys. Woohoo! We made it through we our maiden voyage of Beyond Well. And um, we're going to be offering Beyond Well on almost every platform, iTunes, Spotify, Radio One. You'll be able to find it at several of our sponsors' sites as well. You can go to our friends at PGE and Windermere and be able to find Beyond Well.